Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Well, grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 13. We'll be there in just a moment as we are bringing our study to a conclusion that we have been in for the last number of months, I I think, together. The passage of Scripture that we have tonight is one that's become very important to me over the last uh, uh, number of months. It's found in John 13. We're going to look at the first 17 verses of this chapter, but we see partway through here Jesus asking a very important question, and it's one that I've talked to you about before, as, as Jesus is discipling his followers. He uses questions, and this is one of those questions. It's the, the second question that, that some of us are doing on a daily basis. Do you understand what I have done for you? And just think about that question for a minute. We'll dive into the teaching here in just a few minutes, but before we get to that, how would you respond if Jesus is asking you that question right now? Do you understand what he has done for you in your midst right now? To be able to answer that question, to, to see if we understand what he's done, we first have to see, what, what have you done? I, mean, I can't understand it if I can't see it. And, and so I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to dive into this text, but it's going to, I believe, even help us come alive more to us as we begin to look at what's going on around us. Think of the last seven days. What have you seen Jesus do in your life or in the life of someone around you now we've used a question like this before here on sunday night and and a helper question if you go i, I i'm not quite sure then we can ask the, ourselves the question what truly good has taken place today the book of james tells us if if there's any good thing it's of the lord every good and perfect gift if it's truly good comes from him so we're after first what is it that jesus is doing then we're going to ask ourselves the question Do we understand it? Do we get it? Do we see what he is accomplishing in our midst? So take a minute and turn to the person around you. Find someone who doesn't look too scary around you and uh, ask him this question. What have you seen Jesus do? Now remember, hold on before you get doing it. We're after what Jesus is doing. All right? Now this is kind of dangerous when I turn you loose to, to talk among yourself. Sometimes we can talk about a lot of other things. And those may be good, but not for now. What is it that Jesus was doing? Now, for some of you that I work with on a regular basis, I need to share this for those who I, who I don't. Um, a really good spiritual answer is, I have no idea. All right? That, that's an okay thing to say. We don't need to make something up. We don't need to drum it up. We don't need to try to invent something. If we don't know, it's okay to say, I, I don't know. I, I'm drawing a blank. I came to church and I hate it when Pastor Brady makes us ask questions. That, that's okay. Maybe that's a confessional thing. I don't know if you want to say that or not. But, but, but think about it for a minute. What have you seen Jesus do in the last 24 hours or maybe stretch it out to the last week that, that's, that's Jesus working? And then as we dive into the text tonight, we're going to be looking at do we understand what it is he has done in that mix? So, so find someone around you and, and you'll have 146 seconds tonight. All right? On your marks. Get set, go ask them the question, what have you seen Jesus do? Some of you may need to get up and move around, but uh, ask someone, what have you seen Jesus do?
If you haven't switched yet, go ahead and bring your Jesus sighting to a conclusion and hear what the other person has to say. You know the drill by now. If you're already done, just awkwardly stare each other in the eyes for a couple seconds. That'll be all right. You can handle it. Well, some of you are finishing, others look like you have completed, and let's just hear a couple of these. We won't have time to hear everybody, unless you want to stay here till midnight, but uh, we'll just hear a couple of these Jesus sightings. If, if you have one that you could share of, of where you saw Jesus at work in the last seven days, and you want to share that, just, just raise your hand, wave at me. Uh, I want to hear what Jesus is doing in your life. Ralph, yeah. What did what, you see Jesus do? I, uh, I saw him in the first service uh, this morning, and uh, I was really blessed by the Holy Spirit during the praise and worship service, and uh, I believe that he was here with us. Amen, amen. So let's just see how good of a listener I am, okay, Ralph? Uh, I want to make sure that, that I'm not only a good listener because that's kind of kind. I mean, it's good to listen to someone who's talking to you. But disciples need to listen and look for Jesus, and we want to sharpen our skills. And so I think I heard you say, Ralph, that you saw Jesus' presence in worship this morning. And he was ministering to you. You felt that he was near. He was with you. Did I get come close? Did I, did I get that right? Definitely, yes. Okay, good, good. Pretty specific. We just sensed his presence. He was here with us at a specific time this morning. He sensed it in the worship time the Lord was near. Thank you, Ralph. Very good. Someone else? How have you seen Jesus at work? Paul? Yeah. I have uh, four TV channels that I can get religious programs that I filter through which one I want to prefer. And today there were some outstanding ones because they were really focused on the holiness of Christmas. Good. And that blessed me. I don't know. Being alone, I didn't have to have a lot of distractions. Distractions, I should say. Yeah, good. Sometimes when I cook, it's my destructions. <laughs> That's good. So did you cook destruction? Now, now, Paul, as you share that, I can see in that account that you just shared Jesus doing some things. But, yep. but I want to get specific. What did you specifically see that Jesus did in that? I can see it, but what did you see that Jesus specifically did? Well, I was blessed by <clears throat> some of the conscientious ministers that are parallel with what we have here. Good, good. So, so maybe the Lord was speaking to yep. you through one of these ministers about the, his, holiness, his holiness, and it brought encouragement to your heart. Right. Is that, we, is that right? There were also good insights in our Sunday school class that, uh, ah. that the Jendix presented yeah. about, about the character of each of the ones that were the holy family, uh, how strong that Joseph was. You know, it was pointed out that he's not portrayed, well, he wore brown, so he was to be blended in. But the point was he was strong enough to overcome the adversity. He took a risk. He took a lot of risk. You know, he was strong enough to take the family to Egypt. He was strong enough to take, first take Mary on, you know, with God's direction. Uh, he was strong enough to demand that the, that the hotel or the inn find him a place for her to have birth. So he was a strong person. Sometimes in our nativities, which is the point of the, of the whole thing and this morning, we, we tend to think of it as little dolls. Or we think of as Joseph just kind of in the background. Good, good. So if I'm hearing you right, Paul, the Lord has been speaking to you through many facets today, through ministers on TV, yep. 
through the Jandix in their class, and God is speaking to you through multiple avenues, and I can see in your face, I wish I had my friend Steve here to we'll put your face on the screen, it's all over your face that the Lord is speaking to you right now. Amen. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody else, we have time for one more. You've seen Jesus at work this week. Yeah, yeah. Ralph, I thought you were getting up for round two there for a minute. You were scaring me, but that's okay. That would work. I saw Jesus through brothers and sisters in Christ laying hands on friends and praying for them. Amen. Amen. So, and what you just shared, I can see some things, but I want to press you to be a little bit more specific in that. What did you see Jesus do in that? Because I think there's some backstory there. Through the prayers of believers. Yeah. Crying out to the Lord. They were ministered to. Amen. So you saw some people being ministered to. Because people were crying out to the Lord in prayer, and you saw Jesus using those people, using those prayers as an avenue to bless them. Yes. Okay? Good, good. Here's what we want to catch tonight, and we're going to look at it in, in God's Word together. It's, it's good, it's necessary, it's important to recount, to think of what it is that Jesus is doing. Not just to count our blessings, though that's a good thing. Not just to praise Him, though that's a good thing. But as a disciple, I don't believe that you would be here unless you have some inkling of a desire to be a disciple tonight. I think that pretty much everybody, close to everybody here, would like to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And so when we look for these things, we are trying to say, Jesus, what are you doing? Do I understand what you're doing? Not so we can be smarter or so we can be know-it-alls, so we can do what Jesus is doing. A disciple of Jesus does what Jesus does. Now, take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 13. We'll be there together. We've been looking at John, the life and ministry of Jesus. As we read through the gospel of John, now standing at the foot of the cross on the evening before the crucifixion, we see that in just a few short hours, somewhere between 15 and 18 hours, our Lord will be crucified as we find this passage. Before the sun would set again, he would breathe his last torturous breath. John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I love that. He showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. This sentence that we just read gives us the first thought here. It's The first thing we want to catch from this passage is the heart of Jesus. If you want to take notes, jot that in. It's the heart of Jesus. It's this sentence in this verse that says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's his heart. This passage of scripture reveals his heart to his disciples. It reveals his heart to us. When Jesus says, Do you understand the things that I have done for you? We're beginning to see that, yes, And I can see your heart through it. Jesus' heart is a heart of love. 
Now, the, the tense is used in the end of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. means that the whole range of Christ's contact with his disciples, he loved them all the way through. This wasn't something that he just conjured up at the end. He had been and was continuing to love them. In the upper room... This was a consistent priority that Jesus made in the overriding issue of his communication with them. It was his heart of love. He was ministering and teaching them about love and how to love. We find this in latter verses in verse 34 and 35 of the same chapter. A new command I give you, love one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love, 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 love. Jesus talks about love all the time. He's saying, look, look, here's how I love you. Look, this is what I'm calling you to do in love. And we begin to see the heart of Jesus in this passage. It's also in John 17, 26. The Savior tells the Father, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We looked at that passage last week. He's talking about the love between the Father and the Son. He's revealing that to them. He is teaching his people to love. That was one of Jesus' overall purposes in this passage. Jesus was saying to his people, if you want to be my servants, if, if you want to grow an authentic discipleship, if that's really what you desire, then you must allow your hearts to be deepened in love. Are we willing to let Jesus deepen our hearts in love tonight? We all probably have some measure of his love, but are we willing to let him take us even deeper in love? Another aspect of the Savior's heart we see in this passage is he knew exactly who he was. Now, this is exciting to me. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew that he would go and be at the right hand of the Father. He knew that the Lord had sent him to earth and he would return to heaven. Notice the beginning of verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Also, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. This is verse 3. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. He was aware of this. He knew who he was. He did not forget that he was God. And yet, he still humbled himself. Not just to be fully God and fully human, but he also humbled himself to serve Being fully conscious of his supremacy, he became the Lord of the Tao, Lord of the service-minded. He became the servant and was teaching them how to serve. Here's the heart of our foot-washing Lord and Savior, a heart that is aware of its own royalty, yet overflowing with love that loves to the uttermost. We first see in this passage the heart of Jesus, but let's read on. Let's look at verse 4 through 11 together. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, 
Not just my feet, but my hands and my, my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said, not every one was clean. And these next uh, few verses, in this next chunk of scripture, we begin to see another aspect of Jesus. There's some things he's teaching to us. Not only do we see his heart in the first part, but we see the example of Jesus in these next few verses. The disciples were alone with Jesus in the upper room. The world was locked out. Only a handful of men and a few honored angels would see what was happening there. Because it was a Passover meal... The disciples would be reclining at the table in the traditional manner. Most likely each would be leaning on their left arm, supporting their head, using their right arm to reach for the dishes and the food, and their feet would be out to the side. They were reclining there at the table. And it's from this sight that Jesus rose from the table and performed his last labor, action of love of his life before he would give of his life on the cross. Considering this purposeful drama naturally with intensity that definitely was mounting and growing there probably would have been a few murmurs a few whispers what's going on and then a silence jesus would rise from this supper and just as in the incarnation he rose from his perfect place of fellowship with god the father and now he is rising from the table He lays aside his garments just as he temporarily laid aside his glorious existence. He takes a towel just as he took upon himself the form of a servant. He wraps the towel around his waist for he has come to serve. He pours water into a basin just as he was about to pour out his blood in order to wash away human sin. He washes his disciples' feet just as he will cleanse his children. On this remarkable occasion, Jesus perfectly stages a portrayal of his whole life from birth to death to resurrection. It's wrapped up in this passage of Scripture. It's almost as if it's a dramatization of what we find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. Through nine. Listen to it. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. This is a theme all throughout Christ's life. It's all throughout Scripture. We begin to see the heart and the example of Jesus right here in this passage. Jesus' whole life was dominated by service. As Christ said of himself, we find it in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to serve, excuse me, come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come to receive all these things. He came to give all these things, to give his life as a ransom for many. With this, no doubt, uncomfortable quietness in the upper room, undoubtedly, All could easily hear this gentle pouring, trickling of the water from the the pitcher to the basin. I could just imagine they would hear the breath of the Savior as he was washing their feet and then move from one to the other. I wonder what Jesus was thinking as he would wash their feet. Perhaps as he dried the feet of 
Thomas and Mark. What was he thinking? These feet will be beautiful on the mountains. When he came to Judas, was he thinking these feet will soon run away and steal away from me in the dark? Then he came to Simon Peter. I don't know that it ever says shoe size in the Bible, but I can just imagine these size 13D huge feet there as he stands before Peter because Peter was a disciple who could often stick his foot in his mouth and say dumb things only to take it out to put the other one in. Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you don't realize what I'm doing, Peter. No, you shall never wash my feet. Good old Peter would often try to to put the best foot forward when yet he would reveal his own heart with his words. And Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then so Peter swings to the other side and says, well then wash all of me. My hands, my feet, my ears, my ankles, my toes. Wash it all. And Jesus says, you're missing it. A person who has had a bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is already clean. You are clean, Peter. But not all of us here are, speaking of Judas. When one had a bath and would walk to another's house, only their feet needed to be washed to be clean. As justified believers, the disciples didn't need this radical new cleansing, but rather a daily washing. And Jesus was bringing a daily cleansing to them through his servanthood. Jesus went on to finish the washing of their feet, and when he had finished, he rose again, put on his garments, and he reclined at the table with them. We see some connecting words here from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. After he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is here mimicking what is going to take place in heaven. He is washing their feet, serving them, cleansing them, and he is reclining back at the table again, mirroring what he's going to do with the Father. Let's come back to the text. Look at verse 12. We've seen the heart of Jesus. We've seen the example of Jesus. But verse 12 through 16 will give us some more meat. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Here's the verse that we started with. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you i tell you the truth no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him see here we find the command to be like jesus we've seen his heart we've seen his example now we read of his command to be like him jesus asked him do you understand what i've done for you i believe that they probably knew more of what was going on than maybe we would think They could potentially begin to see that what Jesus was doing was so different than what they were doing, they probably were beginning to understand a little bit of what he was talking about. You see, in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, we begin to see in Luke's account these words. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered to be the greatest. See, when the cross was only a few hours away, the disciples were still arguing about matters of pride. Do you understand what I'm doing for you? The arguments that they just had were most likely flooding in their mind. Yeah, I begin to see it, Jesus. What you're doing is very different 
than what I'm feeling. What you're doing is very different than what I am doing. See, usually when there was no servant present to wash the guest's feet, the first one or two who would arrive would perform the ceremony for the rest of the guests. But here the first arrivals were not in the mood to do that. Perhaps the who is the greatest controversy actually began on their journey to that place and it was a carryover. I'm not going to humble myself to do that. Someone else should. I'm vying for the best seat possible. They were willing to fight for the throne, but nobody was fighting for the towel. Jesus' act was a powerful lesson in servanthood. And they had been missing the point, and now they could begin to understand what it was that he was doing for them. It wasn't just about getting their feet clean. It was about their heart. It was about their attitude. It was about their purpose. It was about their calling to be like their master. What is Jesus doing in your midst? Do you understand it? Not just so you can praise him, not so you can just have something to share on Sunday night, not just so you can kind of, you know, be thankful. Those are good things, but to be like Jesus. What is he doing? He's speaking of his holiness. He is ministering to us with his holy presence. We begin to see that he is He's using people to intercede on behalf of one another and praying for them. You could go on and on about what you saw Jesus do. He has been convicting me about building relationships and building a bridge with certain family members, extended family members in my life. And and what would that look like? Jesus, you're asking me to be like you and to, to lay down my rights and to serve those who I feel like may not even get it. What is he doing? He's commanding us to be like him. So Jesus issued this potent command in verse 13 through 16. We just read it. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. No message messenger greater than the one who sent them. Jesus is employing This compelling logic, the logic of a lawyer per se, is saying, hey, hey, if it is true for the greater, me, then it is true for the lesser, you. This only makes sense. Do what I am doing. If we were to count ourselves as followers of Christ, then there must be humble service in our life. We must be people of the towel. More specifically, we are to wash one another's feet. Well, Christ does not exclude washing the feet of those outside the church. That's not the point. His main direction was not for us just to wash the feet of anybody out there. His main direction was for us to wash each other's feet. It's easier sometimes to humble ourselves to wash the feet of those that we don't know. But those in our own family? Fellow believers whom we have a conflict with, who we haven't spoken to and A long period of time. But for Jesus, his instructions were clear. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, also you should wash one another's feet. When we do this, it will have a cleansing effect upon the believers. It will bring a cleansing effect to ourselves. Jesus is saying that the church has received this essential cleansing by Him and the forgiveness of sins, but we can help take away the day-to-day dirt of the world by humbly serving one another. We will thus encourage one another in godliness. Finally, as we look at this 
last verse here, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I don't think I really caught that till this week. Now that you know this stuff, you'll be blessed if you do it. Here we see the promise of Jesus. There's a very clear promise here. Don't miss it. Jesus did not say you'll be blessed if you think about this more. He didn't say you'll be blessed if you learn the deeper aspects of this, so study more. Jesus didn't say you'll be blessed, as if we so often think, if we have these things done to us. No. He said you'll be blessed if you do these things. Now that you've heard it, now that you've seen it, now that you understand what I'm doing, you'll be blessed if you do what I am doing. He's calling you and me as disciples to do what he is doing. And here in this context, it's to have the heart of a servant to love overflowing in our life on each other. You'll be blessed if you do it. Blessed if we wash the feet of our spouses. Blessed if we wash the feet of our children. Blessed if we wash the feet of our parents. Blessed if we wash the feet of the person who we just don't like. We need to do it. Not to learn more about it, not to spend more time contemplating it, but we need to simply do what we have seen Jesus do. Like the physical counterpart of washing feet, spiritual foot washing is dirty work. We cannot make people clean by scolding them, by lecturing them, by patronizing them. We must get our hands dirty if we're going to be involved in the ministry of cleansing. So how do we become people of the towel? How do we become like Jesus? How are we to be a disciple like this, to be more like him? Uh, observing this marvelous example of the foot washing of our Lord and Savior. Listening to Jesus' challenge, now that he, the Lord and teacher, has done these things, he's called us to do them. Perhaps the most important is to begin to allow our heart to be changed by him, to be more like his heart, to be overflowing with love. Finally, to become people of the towel, we need to realize who we are. Just as he realized he is the Son of God, he knew he was going to the Father. It wasn't because he had poor self-esteem. It wasn't because he had no upward mobility and he was just kind of stuck there. No, no, no. He said, I have been given much. All authority is under me, and yet I choose to serve. Friend, you and I are a royal priesthood. We are sons and daughters of a king. We have access to the Lord on high, and yet we are called to not forget who we are. We are to act like whose we are, to be a servant. So tonight, we've seen the heart of Jesus. We've seen the example of Jesus. We've seen the command to be like Jesus and the promise that if we not only hear these things, if we do them, we will be blessed. Now, I can just imagine... Jesus here in bodily form, he's here in spirit, saying, kids, it's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Look for me. Allow me to give you understanding of what it is I'm doing, and do that. We will have hearts like servants. We will stop fighting over thrones in our life. We'll start reaching for the towel to be a servant, and we will be a blessed people. As Pastor Edgar comes, I'd like us to end in response tonight by a song that I remember 
my nana, my grandma, singing over and over and over and over again. As I begin to think about this verse, do you understand what I have done for you? We couldn't eat food at Nana's house unless we would count our blessings, naming them one by one. Someone said that. But it was more than just a ritual for her. It was more than just some kind of activity we do at Thanksgiving. For her, I believe she was catching this. Did we understand what Jesus was doing? Were we being obedient to him? Were we desiring to be like him? In closing tonight, would you stand with me? Grab your, grab your hymnal and turn to number 490. Whether this is a song that you know well or one that you're hearing for the first time, I believe it can be our response to the Lord tonight.